Hey guys, welcome to the Kevin and Fred show. My name is Kevin Kaufman. I'm your host. And I just want to say thank you for taking some time out to listen with us this week. Do me a favor. If you don't mind, before we get to today's guest, head on over to ratethispodcast.com. That is ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA. That stands for next level agents. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA and leave us a review or just go to any podcast player that you prefer and uh, look us up, The Kevin and Fred Show, and please leave us a review. That is the best way to support our efforts here in the show. All right, let's get to today's episode. What's up, Fred? How you doing, man? Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chris. Uh, honored to be here with you. Cool. I'm glad you could join. I uh, just wanted to bring you on because I've respected your game from afar for a long time. I mean, we've known each other probably where we've talked more in the last year, but for probably 14, 15 years since the short sell era, I've looked up to you. And so I just was like, hey, let's bring him on here. Let's talk shop and see where this goes. Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. All right. So I want to first, I'd like to know why you got into real estate. Like what inspired you to do it? And then what that first era looked like when you started? I want to connect to some realtors that might not be doing the level of production that you're doing now. Like, why'd you get into it? How'd those first few years look? And then just a few minutes on how that's evolved with your team over the last probably 15, 16 years. Yeah, for sure. So I'm an Arizona native. I grew up in Glendale in the West Valley, went to Apollo High School. And uh, after high school, I uh, went to Arizona State University, graduated from uh, Arizona State in 2003. While I was at Arizona State, though, man, I honestly I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like, I, I did pretty well in school and high school. College came around, I wasn't really interested in doing much other than playing basketball and ping pong and not really studying much. I just sort of, you know, beat my way through classes, had some couple C's, couple A's and just a nice B average. And um, I, I found myself trying to figure out what to do. I worked at Costco as an odd job in, in college and did some jobs on, on campus at Arizona State. And uh, my dad's always been in the banking business. So at one point or another, the conversation sort of, I think, opened up that, hey, there might be a position opening at Washington Mutual Bank, which is where he worked back in 2001, 2002. And so I took it and um, I, it wasn't glamorous, man, but it was my first introduction to real estate or to mortgage was working for Washington Mutual. This was early 2000s, right? So these mortgage folks would uh, bring loan applications in. They would print them out because the loan application was taken in one system. They printed out on legal size paper and they'd hand them to guys like me. We were called borders. And we literally looked through the loan app and typed all the data into another computer system because the systems didn't talk to each other. So my entire job was just like taking a loan application with somebody's name and social security number and income and debt and assets and all that stuff and moving it from a piece of paper into a computer system. And that was my first exposure to, to loans in, in real estate. And I eventually moved my way into the rate lock desk at Washington Mutual Bank and uh, started helping people and mortgage brokers at the time that were locking rates and telling people they couldn't do pricing and all that. Anyway, long story short, man, I met a gentleman at Washington Mutual Bank. His name was Mark Collard, and he taught a products and pricing class. And he's really the guy that got me interested and intrigued in real estate. We kind of built a little bit of a relationship outside of work. And one day he was telling me he was investing in real estate. And I said, tell me more about that. What does that even look like? What's that sound like? So he showed me a deal and kind of walked me through from start to finish what happened. And he showed me a sizable deposit in his Bank of America bank account that he had made on this particular flip. And I said, all right, man, I, I want to learn how to do that. I am an unhappy employee over here. I'm terrible at taking directions from other people. How do I do that? So I convinced Mark that him and I should leave our jobs. I was like, why are you working at Washington Mutual when you have that real estate investment skill? Let's go out and start real investing in real estate. So in May of 2003, no, four, excuse me, we uh, left Washington Mutual Bank, went out in the world to be real estate investors. Well, 
Little did I know that it was probably not a great idea to have $10,000 in your bank account, no income coming in and force yourself to have to find, you know, great deals, so to speak, right? And, and flip real estate or whatever it may be to make money. So a couple months later, I, um, after observing Mark and his wife, his wife ran a mortgage broker shop. I observed the fact that they had people that were coming to them to get qualified for mortgages that didn't have a real estate license. So I saw an opportunity. I said, I'm going to go get licensed. That way, maybe I can sell some houses, make a little bit of money, and then we'll have more money to invest or at least to float me by in between our different real estate investment, right? So that's how I found my way into real estate was 2004, leaving a job in comfort, going out into a very unknown world, driving from Glendale, Arizona to Northeast Mesa, Arizona every single day, moving back in with my parents, which I didn't want to do, but I also didn't want to have a job anymore. And so I asked them if I could move back in for a few months until I had some more money coming in. So that's a little bit of my start of how I got licensed. So how did those, like, how did that first year look? Were you still, so you totally left your job and started real estate, just cold turkey, full time? Cold turkey, man. I didn't what know that what that first year, like what it looked like. Yeah. Oh, nerve wracking, man. Again, I thought $10,000 was a lot of money in 2004. I never really had saved up much more than 10 or 20 grand in my life. So that seemed like a lot of money, right? But when I was leaving a $40,000, $50,000 a year job at Washington Mutual and you realize like no more incomes coming in, 10 grand evaporates pretty quickly. I know I, I should have been maybe a little smarter and realized that, but at the time I'm in my early 20s and I'm just like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to go go this direction. So I, I hung my license with Century 21 and it, it went remarkably pretty good. And what I mean by that is like, I didn't make money the first couple of months. Don't misunderstand me, but I started building the pipeline up. I, I chose to align with Century 21 because the gentleman that taught my contract class, he was a New Yorker. His name was Polly, and he was a straight shooter. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to get in real estate. Like I need to make money. So I need somebody that's going to shoot me straight and not BS me. Tell me what I need to go out and do. Well, how do I go out and generate business? And um, thankfully, Mark and Michelle at the time were definitely stirring up uh, enough attention and activity around them that I was able to source some business from them. And then I immediately started working on my database and, you know, and just started doing, doing the activities, right. That, that produce real estate sales. So when did, um, so when did you link up with Kevin? Uh, I linked up with Kevin. We'd have to fast forward to roughly 2005, Kevin and I believe it was, um, again, went to uh, Apollo high school in Glendale. And, uh, one of my longtime friends is Kevin's wife. So the reason Kevin and I ever met is because I know, I know his wife all the way back in third grade. So when uh, she introduced me to him, we connected, uh, over a meal one day and specifically connected over Robert Kiyosaki and rich dad, poor dad book series. And, uh, he was not licensed at the time. I had been licensed for a little over a year at that point. Fast forward a couple of years later, he went out and got a license and he actually recruited me to Keller Williams Realty because I was still at Century 21. He decided not to join my brokerage. He said he should probably check out this KW office. And, um, and I did. And then um, that was uh, July of 2007. And then Kevin and I um, very softly, I use the words very lightly, partnered together in February of 2008. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting how many people probably got into real estate because of Kiyosaki, huh? It, it is interesting. It's also interesting how many of us got into invest in real estate and then how many of us transitioned like, to that be was the ambition. And then we just get into the like deal doing and making a check yeah. here or there and, and not actually like building any wealth. And I fell into that trap in a big way. Yeah. It's interesting how it's like Kiyosaki has gotten a lot of realtors into the business and they realize like, whoa, I've got to actually make money to be an investor. Then they transition to realtor. And then your goal, it seems like in real estate is get to the point where you're making enough money to turn back into the Kiyosaki model. 
So yeah. I actually, uh, what's a funny story about Kiyosaki is I went to a, a party about three months ago and he ended up strolling through the party. And I was like, it was interesting where half the people probably knew who he was and half didn't. And I'm just like, dude, this guy's a celebrity in my mind. Right. And just, he's mingling through the party and I go up and start talking to him. And I'm like, man, that's so cool to think that in certain worlds, you can be so famous, but you can go to another world and just be a normal Joe. And it was interesting like to be there, but yeah, he's inspired. I think a lot of us to that's get into the business. How many transactions like did you do before you and Kevin, like actually formally let's like actually explain where you're at now so people can see how like massive actually your business is to see like the growth that's happened probably over the last 16 years or so yeah so today um kevin and i run a real estate team called group 4610 we formally kind of started this in in 2008 we close anywhere i mean over the last three to four or five years we've closed anywhere from 210 transactions to I think our biggest year over the last four or five anyway was 550 transactions. Oh, wow. So we've been averaging 250, 300 units a year the last few years. So to, to back up, but before that though, so my my first three months in real estate, I got licensed in like September of 04. I didn't close any transactions in 04, but I, I did actually close 32 or 33 transactions in 2005. And just to give some context to anybody out there that like listens to this and maybe is, is new into real estate. Like my first few deals, like I, I saw, I worked hard for them, right? I sourced a $700,000 listing from my best friend's parents who really weren't sure they wanted to give me the business because they had an agent they'd always used. One of my friends at the time was like, you know, you really should give Fred a shot. So I discounted my commission and like was very honest with them about what I knew and what I didn't knew and told them I'd work my butt off and, you know, earn their respect and trust and eventually went on to do more transactions with them in the future. And then from that, I held their house open many, many times, I'm probably mostly once or twice a weekend for probably a month or two straight. Got some, I got a, my next client came from that open house. I showed that stinking client like 70 plus houses before they found something they would buy. And then they sold their $600,000 house with me also in Scottsdale. So, I mean, it, I'd love to say it was glamorous, right? Like, yeah, I sold 30 some houses in my first 15, 16 months in real estate, but I also worked my tail off. There was some days and some nights there where I wasn't sure I was going to eat or ah, that's a little extreme, but I wasn't sure where the next check was coming from. Like sure. I was, I was driving home to mom and dad's house still asking if I could stay a couple more months there because I didn't have enough income coming in to feel like. Like I could go out and, and live on my own. Right on. So when did you like make a transition? Was this like, when did you make the transition to not be in production anymore? Cause I don't, I don't think that either of you guys actually work with a buyer or seller. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah. So Kevin and I, when we started working together in 08, I mean, it was us, man. It was all about survival. It was about not having to quit, not having to go get a real J-O-B. And, uh, you know, the prices were plummeting. The market was imploding, short sales galore, you know, foreclosures. And so um, we, you know, we wrote it out. We were doing everything back then, right? We were taking the listings, negotiating the short sales, not really showing the buyers. We'd give my brother a little bit of the grunt work, like put the lock boxes on, take some photos. But, you know, we were faxing out short sale packages to banks and all that you know ugly stuff and and then even when the market transition for us our, our transition was around 2012 where we stopped being so short sell dominant and started learning how to sell traditional real estate right help people that actually have equity in their homes and so kevin and i were back in the trenches then we our team kind of imploded 08 to 2012 was good 2012 to 13 was a big back to just kevin and i mostly selling the real estate having to relearn stuff 
a couple years after that, after we had kind of figured out the traditional real estate game is where we had had kind of grown in our leverage and our business enough to be able to say, all right, if we're going to get to the next level, whatever that next level is, right, and actually have a business, not just be operators, then we're going to have to step out of production. And that was a big, scary thing. But I think for us, that happened in around 2015. And we went pretty cold turkey on that, to be honest with you. Kind of like when I quit Washington Mutual, I was like, I know I'm going to go backwards in income when I leave Washington Mutual, right? I'm going from my $40,000, $50,000 job a year to zero. And sort of, it was kind of the same thing for us. It was like, we knew the minute that we stepped out of production, we were going to have to spend a lot more time teaching and training and leading other people and a lot more time hiring. And we weren't going to be out there producing the business and less business was going to be converted, less income was going to come in. But we were also like, I think this is the beauty of our partnership. We both were really able to help each other realize that like five years from then or 10 years from then, we didn't still want to be sitting in homeowners kitchens presenting paperwork. Not because we were better than that, not because we couldn't do it anymore, not because we absolutely hated it. It just didn't feel challenging enough and it didn't feel fulfilling enough. And so we wanted whatever that next level was. So went cold turkey, I think in 2015 and stopped working with buyers and sellers and started succeeding through other people in our organization. You know, I, I feel like it's much easier for people to pass off a buyer, correct? You know, just mentally. Yep. So what did that, what did that look like when, because I'm sure you started, probably started passing off buyers to someone sooner. When was the first time you passed off a listing? Like, let's say somebody called you that you like knew and was in your network. What would that first handoff look like? Because I think that's the hardest one for people is they can, it's easy for them to stay engaged and passing off a buyer. Mm-hmm. And that leverage seems simple, but passing off a listing I mean, it seems like it would be the same thing, just different process, but yet I think we mentally all have a block when it comes to that. What did that look like for you? Yeah, I think it can be more challenging. I think we were kind of blessed, Chris, with the fact that like short sales was a blessing and a curse, right? Like at one time, our average sales price was $110,000. Like the average time from taking a listing to getting paid was well over six months, right? And, and you know, for most deals. So, but, but it also taught us a lot of things. There were some blessings in there. One of the blessings was at one time we were generating more listings than Kevin and I could handle. So we had to hire a listing agent during the short sale days who would take basically a short sale input form, collect the paperwork from the seller, send out our listing paperwork, et cetera. So we had already during the short sale days kind of learned to leverage the seller side of the business. And then when we kind of moved over to traditional, we took the seller side back over to learn that skill ourselves. But I think we had already learned how to hand somebody off, how to set the right expectations, to know that at one point or another, somebody did that job better than us, or at least as well as we did. And so I think we were able to overcome some of our limiting beliefs and maybe get through that phase of handing sellers off sooner. But like you said, man, it's, it's not easy. And I'm not here to say any of this is easy, right? Like behind the scenes, there was so many messes and many days of talking and wanting to quit and get out of the business and will this work? But it was sort of a, you know, you got to reset some days and some weeks and some months. And it was a commitment to go, we're going to figure this out. If somebody else has done it, it's, it's not impossible. Right. And, you know, one of the things uh, you know, Gary Keller was a mentor of mine for many years. And one of the things I always heard him say was like, people hire, hire you for the standards that you have. They're not necessarily just hiring you. Right. And when you go into many great businesses in the world, like we all do business with, you know, non-owner operators Mm -hmm. and, and we do just fine. It's just that in the real estate context, a lot of us because we've worked so hard to get where we are, or maybe a little bit more attached than we could, should be. And it therefore becomes a little harder to let go. Yeah. And I, f- I feel personally that it's just easier to let go of stuff when you're forced to. Meaning like when you're just good at lead generating and getting enough work, there's almost a certain point where if you have any type of life, family or anything else, like it's, 
like for us, it's been organically having to build something. I find that when I try to force something to happen, it doesn't work properly. But if you focus on like, go get the business. And then if you're just good at what you do, you'll get referrals and more business than you can probably handle. There's almost no option. I mean, cause it's simple for us to say, like, it would be very simple for me to say like, um, Hey, I have no more time today. Right. So like, but like, it's, it's harder for people when they still have time in the day to pass off something. But when you're just getting three and four and five buyers a day, you're almost forced into sitting up at night and you're like, how am I going to have a life and still do this? You're almost forced into creating systems and just making it happen. Yeah, um, I do. I love, I love that you're saying that. Oftentimes people will ask me and I know probably ask you like, how'd you build your team, you know, or like help me build and scale a team. Like when should I start or who's the first hire? And I'm not saying that there aren't some folks out there that have succeeded differently than maybe myself or you, but I think the teams that have the longest standing track record of success are those that have an owner operator who at one point or another generated more business than they knew what to do with. Right. And they were forced to out, out of need and out of not wanting to cap their business to go out and hire more people. I think the people that sit around and they maybe are, are individual producers going, I just don't like this anymore. Maybe I should start a team or they just love leading and coaching and mentoring other people. And they start a team from that level. I think that's a harder road to go down than it is to be an owner, operator, lead generator, rainmaker, who at one point or another just generates more business than you know how to handle. And you have to go out and hire. Right. This those type of teams, in my opinion, typically find a little more success. Yeah, I remember going to a class that Russell, Russell Shaw taught and he had said, um, he was talking about teams and he's like, oh, the people who say, I just want to have like all these agents. And he's like, that sounds like a sick trick or a sick game. And he's like, I want to have the least amount of people on my team to give the highest level of customer service for the amount of business I have that year. And I was like, dude, that changed my whole brain because I would go to conferences and like you guys always talk stage talk, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, I felt like everybody's like, oh, I've got 12 agents. I got 17 agents. And I was just always like a profit and loss type of guy. Right. I'm like, let's just talk our P and L's, but we can't. Right. Cause that's not cool. Um, and so when he said that my brain just held on to that forever. And I remember watching that over and over and I'm like, man, like have the least amount of people to deliver the highest amount of customer service for the amount of business you have that year. And it was willing to not get caught up in the pride of how many agents you have. And it was willing to be nimble as a business owner that, hey, like there's years where you might be closing 500. There might be a year where you're closing 250. That doesn't mean you keep the same business model. As a business owner, you get nimble with that. If you're really looking at a profit and loss, nothing says that make, or closing less homes you know, makes less money. And so I just always really respected that he would say that. And he, he delivers it in a much more Russell Shaw type way <laughs> where I feel like I'm listening to his commercials. But so yeah, let me yeah. ask you now, like, what does your team look like now? Yeah, so today, uh, Kevin and I are still the, the owners of the company. We own the team 50-50. Uh, our most important person in our world, I hesitate to say the word employee, but I mean, yes, technically she's a W-2 employee. Her name is Jill Morris. Um, she's essentially our director of admin. She's everything that has to do with contract to close in our world, but she also wears, you know, the cheerleader hat. She wears the team mom hat. She wears the counselor, you know, mediator hat. I mean, she's just, she's the heartbeat of our team and our organization. I'm well aware that, you know, some businesses are built around great people and some businesses are built around great systems and some have a combination of both. A lot of the reason our team works and runs the way it does. Yeah, there's some systems there. Don't get me wrong, but Jill Morris is really the heartbeat, heartbeat of our company. 
I'm, you know, I, I sort of operate a little bit more as maybe the sales manager of our team. If you want to use that language, um, I run a team meeting or I call it a mentorship meeting instead of a sales meeting uh, once a week with our agents where, you know, we keep a pulse on what's going on in the market. We, we talk about different scenarios. We get an update from our lending partner, right? That type of thing. Kevin and I, yeah, we, we do a pretty good amount of kind of splitting the hiring at, at this point in time. I'm a little bit more on the training side, but he's a little bit more on the hiring side. But we've also put together a, a really great training program that's video and written content and all housed online. So at this point, we run a team that's a little bit more like if you're going to, you know, we're very upfront with people. If you're going to come in here, like you're not going to shadow Kevin and Fred on a listing or buyer consult. You're going to have to go through the training Kevin and Fred have put, you know, months and years of effort and energy into to, to refine. And then you're going to have to come to the office perhaps or shadow or listen to other people on the team that are having success and, you know, find, find your way in the, in the business. So, yeah. So Kevin, I, as the owners, Jill, as the, as the admin side, Jill has some administrative support as well. She has another licensed TC that works under her. We've got uh, three different virtual assistants that do various roles in our, in our organization. Um, some of that is specific to our real estate team. Some of that's a little bit more for our real estate partners at our, at our brokerage uh, EXP. Um, and then we've got, um, you know, I think on the roster, and I always say this kind of lightly, Chris, and I, I, this isn't a shot at anybody on my team, but I think on our roster, there's probably 25 or 30 agents on the roster. Um, there's really about uh, eight to 12 people that are full-time real estate salespeople in, in, on our team that make a full-time living selling real estate. There's another, you know, six to eight that are trying to make that jump from maybe part-time to full-time or just got started to, I want to make this a career. And then we've got some spouses that support some of the lead agents on our team. We've got some other agents that are very, very part-time. They might only sell one or two or three houses a year. We don't mind that as long as you're not like bringing our team down or you're not a drag on our culture and our energy. Like we don't mind having a couple of great agents that we like them as people. They just only want to sell a few deals a year. So that's a little bit of the makeup of our team. Like what's your value proposition when someone comes to you? Like, I know there's certain teams that are like, Hey, we're going to give you leads. Like for example, we have the Zillow Flex account, so it's yeah. it's obviously easy for us to say like, hey, we're going to give you these leads. We're you know we have to find agents to help us. What is it for you guys that is it? Hey, we have support behind the scenes for you. Is it we have leads? Is it a combination of both? How does that how does that dynamic work? Yeah, so um, we define our value proposition. I mean, I, I can I can list some stuff out for you. I would tell you probably our agents. You know, they all would tell you there's different reasons they're with the team. But administrative support is obviously a big part. Training is a is a big part. We do have a lead component to to our team as well. You know, we've got some technology there. But I think community and culture is all, honestly a big part of it as well. I think there's just some people that work better in a group setting. Uh, maybe they don't want to have to be told to show up at the office very militaristic from 8.30 to 5 every day, but they like knowing that they're not alone. They like knowing there's a group of people that get together once a week and practice some scripts once in a while and have some accountability meetings in the office from time to time. So those are some of the reasons. You know, our I would tell you at one time, I think leads was probably the thing that we sold the most, but it's now the thing we sell the least. There are some agents that will come into our organization and say, you know, how many leads can you provide me? And, you know, sometimes I'll sell people what they want, but give them what they need, you know? So we'll talk about our lead program, but at the end of the day, like you've probably got enough experience around this as well, probably more experience than even Kevin and I do at this point, but, you know, people come in saying they want something and then some people don't take advantage of what they, what they sign up for, or what they want. So give you a mindset on kind of how I operate our team. I try to find out where people are and where they want to go and then help build a custom plan to get them there. So instead of saying our team does internet lead gen and this is what we're famous for and we come to the office and we all lead gen together, blah, blah, blah. 
it's a little bit more like if I was sitting down with somebody, it's like, all right, Chris, tell me about your business. Where are you at? What's frustrating you? Where do you want to be? Okay, cool, man. Here's a couple of things that I think could support you in getting there. Are you willing to work on those together? So this is a mindset that Kevin and I've had for many, many years now. We don't set a team goal every year and say, all right, guys, we're going to go out and sell 300 homes this year. And so, you know, John, I need to know how many you're going to sell. Sally, how many you got for us? And, you know, okay, cool. It adds up. We're good. Everybody's goals add up to our team goal. Like um, we tried that before. It just does not work well for Kevin and I. It's a little bit more of like, hey, what do you want to accomplish, Joe? What are you looking for, Stephanie? Um, what do you want to do this year, Ronnie? And then how do we support the, you know, those agents that are on our team in achieving their goals? And Kevin and I make a good living through through them and with them, if you will. You could say it's just kind of based around maybe like a like a coaching style. I feel like, hey, tell me what your plans are and I'm gonna back you up with your goals. Yeah. And, you know, we've run teams where, you know, we had splits at one time where the agent got 25% of a listing and the team got 75. And we've, we, we've gone kind of the opposite direction now where most of our agents keep 70% of their, of their income and only pay the team 30%. Um, we do have some agents that are on more like a 50, 50 split. We actually kind of operate two different models, if you will, which I can dive into if you want, but you know, it's, it's a little bit more like, tailored to the person and their needs and, and a little bit more of the needs of Kevin and I as well. It's fun sitting down as a business owner and trying to figure out these splits and plans. Huh? Sometimes you like <laughs> have this idea of what you want it to be and then you introduce it. And then a year or two later, you're looking at a PL and you're like, ah, that was a good uh, science experiment that we just did there. Right. Uh, it's just, I, I think it's so cool. Like this business is, it can go, every realtor can do something different. We could all end up maybe at the same profit margin maybe taking home the same money, but like we can do it so many different ways. And I think that's yeah. really the beauty of it. And we can all mess up the same way. And what's right for you might be wrong for me. I think that's the even cooler one that I'm noticing now as the years go on is, you know, you can go sit in a training and listen to somebody, but you ultimately have to walk away and be like, does that fit in my lifestyle really anymore? It's like, is that even my personality? And like, that's the thing that I had to walk away with like really early like I'm not a get on the phone and cold call people. I would sit in the bold classes at Keller Williams. And when they said call people, I would just go out into the room and just act like I was talking to people. And I was like, this just is not my DNA. If I called my clients like this, they would think I was being held hostage. And they're like, Bowers doesn't do this. Like, why is he just reaching out? Like, how are your kids? How is this? So I think it's just nice to know that no matter if you're introverted, extroverted, like there's a path and someone that you can link up with that you can follow their business model and probably make this work. 110%, man. I think that, and this is just my strong belief. I came out of some of that Keller Williams world for 11 years, right? Where I felt like it was always, this is the Frankenstein model and here's the seven levels and you're going to go from one rung to the next. And I, man, I, more power to you if those levels work for you and they support you and your business and your personality style and who you are. But I also think, I, I believe a lot more along the lines of where you're at, man, which is like, we all have a different behavior style. We all have different wants and needs. There's different things we're trying to get out of our businesses. There's different effort and energy that we're putting in depending upon parts and places we're at in our life. And so like build the business around you. Like Kevin and I used to try to hold agents accountable and I'm putting like air quotes up right now for those of you just listening on audio. And, you know, I don't want to hold people accountable. Like you can't hold someone accountable. Like there's means by which you can ask somebody to tell you what their commitments are 
are and then ask them if they follow through and things of that nature. But I'd rather work with accountable people. Kevin and I always say like, we don't run an adult daycare. So if you're looking for one of those real estate teams where like you need us to tell you it's nap time and it's time to show up and it's time to go home, we're, we're the wrong team for you, right? Like we want to work with people that are already accountable, that need some coaching, need some direction, need to be linked up with the right people, but we don't want to sit around and try to hold people accountable. So uh, we've just built our business around us and our personality. I don't know that I would tell anybody to try to run it exactly like we do. It just, it works for us, right? After 14 years, you figure out what works for you and what you like and what you don't like. And you, you, you kind of find the model that, that feels good for you. Well, I think the common denominator between the ones that are probably producing as we sit down and have like time where we decide, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this and test it and go with it for a while, hold it accountable, see if it works and then switch it up. I think that with you, me, or any other agents that's producing, I think the common denominator, just sitting down, writing down a game plan and be willing to just do it for long enough to find some data, look at the data and decide, does that make any sense? And then either change it, tweak it, or just totally go 180 and go a different direction. Like I don't subscribe to any one person. It's like the Dave Ramsey, the Robert Kiyosaki, and you got the Grant Cardone, the Gary Kellers, and the Glenn Sanford. You got all these people. And it's like, some people want to be like this person, this person, like you're subscribing to one model. And I'm like, how about you just take what's great about all these people and do what works for you? And just maybe take a blend of all this and just find out what works for you and run with it instead of, you know, trying to actually do everything that person does. It just doesn't make, yeah. too, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to like follow someone's model completely. Otherwise we're totally taking out any behavioral stuff. Yeah, no, I love that, man. If you don't mind me sharing something, I was listening to a Tim Ferriss and uh, podcast recently. He had a gentleman, an author on, the, on there by the name of Morgan Housel. And Morgan had this quote where he said, when you have these idols in any field, it doesn't have to be in investing or I'll insert in the real estate space. You just want to ask yourself, what can I emulate, right? Too often people are trying to model their entire world after somebody that they look up to or just take one person's, you know, approach to investing, right? But really asking yourself, like, what can I emulate? Like, what, what, what do I want to take away from this person rather than how do I become them? Or how do I operate exactly like them? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, for example, like people want to go like Dave Ramsey and Kiyosaki and they're totally different styles, right? I'm like, there's times and places for both those models. There was a time when my mom taught me Dave Ramsey at a very young age and that served me well, you know? And then when I had enough cash where I'm like, Hey, I've got to invest this and park it into some real estate. I took the Kiyosaki model. And so I'm like, you can also in certain times be like, Hey, in my business, I might be leveraged here, but in my home life, I might be very Dave Ramsey where I don't have debt. And so I just think it's like, it's not this one thing. It's, it's not just one person. It's like, just pick and choose what works best for you and where you're going. And like we said, what's right for you might be wrong for me. There's no, no right or wrong about that. Yeah. Warren Buffett's like considered one of the greatest investors ever. Right. But like to go and follow his investing today, like he's got a track record of like his investing behavior today is very different than what it was 20 or 30 years ago. And if you want to go emulate Warren Buffett, like more power to you, but I don't want Warren Buffett's home life. And I'm not going to go into details on his home life. You can go read up on it yourself. Like Warren Buffett for as great of an investor as he is, like he's got some blinders on as well that go and impact other parts of his world, right? So it becomes, I just think this whole life to bring it back to our real estate teams in, in this whole journey in real estate is about like finding your path and finding your way and, and taking some things and emulating some things from others, but figuring out what works best for you and what serves you the most. How do you hand off like your personal referrals? And I think maybe you've been, and, and as I say this, 
I'm still very much into production, right? So I'm asking this, like how you made this journey. I'm sure now you've been away from production so long that it's just naturally worked its way through. But how, how did you initially take those people that were your past clients? Who did you pass them off to on your team? Or who do you pass them off to right now? Like yeah. when you, I'm sure you guys get a ton of referrals from other agents, your past clients. Yep. Is there a certain group on your team where it's like the, uh, like the A team that gets our referrals? Yeah. So as I kind of referred earlier, we sort of have these two different, like two different unique teams inside okay. of our team. We have this like 70% team and then we have a little, I'll call it little like the 50, 50 team. Well, the 50, 50 team is like made up of three of our veteran agents who've been with us for a really long time. Okay. Um, they actually make a little bit less per transaction, but Kevin and I have a very strong relationship with them. They've worked with our past clients and our sphere of influence and agent to agent referrals in the past okay. as well. And they also get a more thorough or fuller approach to transaction coordination. So essentially, like, let's say, like, I, I, let me say this as well. Um, I still have a database. Like, I still market to my database. I send postcards every month. I try to make at least one phone call to my A, Bs, and Cs every year. I try to still go to lunch or dinner or something, you know, twice or three times a year with my A's. I've got my A clients on, you know, $100 worth of gifting that goes out quarterly. I've got all my clients on, you know, my, my database and sphere, 150-ish people on HomeBot. They all get a viral marketing email every month. So I got a lot of touch points, right, that are still happening from me to my database. So I'm still want them to know that I'm in real estate. But when that phone call comes in or they do say I'm ready to buy or sell, Fred, um, that conversation looks a little bit like, you know, hey, Chris, that's awesome. Like uh, recently, a neighbor friend of mine and, and my wife's like wanted to sell their house. And so um, I, I've been over their home before. I talked to him on the phone, her and her husband for about 20 or 30 minutes one day. Um, and then the next, I said, well, we're going to schedule an appointment with like my lead listing agent, you know, who is essentially my partner in the real estate business. They're more involved in the day to day while I'm running the team and overseeing things. And so I then, you know, bring in and introduce that partner, right. And let them build that relationship and then let them set the appointment. I did. I went out to a buddy of mine house on just this past Friday because he said he wanted me to come see it and run some comps for him. And so I did. I mean, he's just he's a friend. So I wanted to go see him. It wasn't that wasn't that much trouble. He lives like a half mile away from me, you know, lives in a seven figure house and everything. And so I went out and did that. And, you know, um, him and I've still been talking. And if he says, all right, I think we're actually ready to put the home on the market. My next conversation will be, you know, awesome, Nick. I'm going to go ahead and bring Joe or Ronnie or Stephanie into the conversation. My lead listing agent there, you know, they're going to work with you do X, Y, Z. The other thing to know, Chris, is that Jill, who I described like as our team mom, director of admin, all those things, she's a licensed agent and she's done thousands of transactions in her career. And, and Kevin and I trust her inherently with our lives. And so anybody that's like our sphere, our database or an agent referral or any of the business that our three top agents do, Jill handles everything from contract to close. So our agents operate more as listing paperwork, pricing, negotiating, and Jill handles the inspection, the, you know, the negotiations during the inspection, the communications with the lender, communications with title, low appraisals, like leasebacks, you name it. So it's basically like we have two agents that sort of take over on behalf of Kevin and I, one is really good on the front side with the sales part and the negotiation. And the other one is really good on the back end with negotiation and details and customer care. And so the combination of our sales are a couple sales agents that take those referrals plus Jill allows us to control the experience that our database and our agent to agent referrals and things of that nature still get. Yeah, it's actually what, what I noticed. I always try to put myself as the consumer when I try to answer this question or even think through like any time that I have did something where I bought something and had a service where people passed me off. Right. And I've always found that 
I've never cared to be passed off as long as the baton was being passed off appropriately. And so that's what I've always noticed that there's these organizations, like when I built my pool, it was a mess, right? No, no, not putting that company on blast. Maybe that's how it is every pool. I don't know. But like the process was just passed off really janky. And so I thought like, I never cared that there were other departments that did things. It was just like, you know, hey, if you, if you called me and said, this person's calling tomorrow and they called tomorrow and they carried on that conversation and pass it over the next person. So I found that we as agents sometimes, I don't know why real estate's different than any other business where we think that people only want to work with us. And I'm like, hey, as long as you tell somebody expectations up front and your people behind the scenes deliver on the promise of your expectations and someone's passing off the baton and they actually feel like every... So basically right now in our operation, like for me with my clients that I'm helping buy homes, they're actually serviced better by me passing it off and having someone help them. Like if someone said like, hey, I want Chris, only you to touch this transaction. I'd be like, whoa, like this is going to be probably a mess. So I think yeah. it's like when you really truly have an operation where you're like, this person is going to do the best service for you. And when they pass it off into the office and you're like, that person's actually going to do better than the person that structured the deal and got you under contract. And what a crazy world we'd live in if you thought that the person who was going to show you homes, organize the contract, and then was going to go do emailing and check emails and answer phone calls all day. Like that's not even the same personality types that would be best at all of that. I think if you can intelligently sit down and have a consultation with people about that, not even get into the details, but come from a mindset where you're coming from that mindset and you're being able to deliver, this is how our process works. I truly think people appreciate it more. Yeah, I mean, if, if I if could- if you have the right people, I truly think they appreciate it more. Like when, uh, like my, any of my clients right now, when they're buying a house, like they know straight up, like I'm not going to be showing them homes and none of them even question it. Cause I tell them, I'm like, Hey, like this person lives over in your area that you're looking in. They're going to get there the quickest it's speed to market, right? Or it's speed to get into that house right now. And I, my brain operates as I'm a put deals together type person. That's going to be where I shine in this process and where you get me. And so I think that's where um, I think other agents, if they realize that, because you've did it at probably a higher level than I have, but I'm doing it now. And it's, it's actually freeing to know that the world doesn't want just you. Yeah. If I can pull out a couple of pieces of gold there that you said, like the, the standard that you're working towards is where you can actually say to somebody, which I oftentimes will do like, no, Stephanie is going to do a much better job than I am of pricing your listing and, and helping you get the home prepared and even negotiating with other, like, cause she, that, like we've worked to that place. Right. So that's the standard, but then you also got to walk your way backward. Like I'm not, I'm not suggesting to anybody that you should walk out tomorrow, go hire three agents off the street and then hand over your database to them. Like within a 30 day period. No, this was a, this was a process, right? This was a lot of like, Hey, Stephanie and I went on appointments together back mm -hmm. in the day. Like Stephanie and I did buyer consults together back in the day. We showed houses together. We went on listing appointments together, right? We negotiated offers together. So we were in the trenches together. When I say I stepped out of production in 2015 and went cold turkey, I did, but I didn't like completely just like all of a sudden I was no longer doing anything. No, I was working like Stephanie's been with us for eight years, right? So eight or nine now. So like her and I were like, I was teaching her. It was on the job training, right? And to a point where I felt good enough to be able to hand that off. And I can say, Jill's going to take excellent care of your transaction now that you're under contract and she's going to call and set the right expectations because we've been working together. We know how to hand the baton, yeah. so to speak. So I just want people to listen and hear yeah. out there and say, there's a standard of where you're going, but understand there's also many steps along the way um, that you're going to sort of phase in um, as you get more comfortable with the people and the leverage that you've brought yeah. in. 
Yeah. And I think the common ground with any agent is just be willing to like test the next step. Yep. Like meaning, I think you're always willing to test like what's the next form of leverage I need. It might not be full-time, you know, it might not be part-time. It might just be like a variable expense. You're willing to like test that next step and really hope like you're really watching it tightly. And then as it works, it works. And then you're willing to go test the next step. I think that's yeah. where like you're probably at is you were just willing to take, you're always willing to take the next step to what leverage looked like. And it wasn't like, no one's going to go out there probably tomorrow and just have seven agents on their team. But like, you could like have somebody maybe that you paid 20 bucks to go show a house when it's your kid's birthday on Saturday and you don't want to go do that that day. Like that might be your first form of like, whoa, I can still have my life and a home get shown. And you have yep. no, you know, fixed expense to doing that. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're like, well, what happens when they don't do a good job? Like, stuff's going to happen. Like get right. over it. Like if yeah. you're a control freak that thinks this is perfect and you're never going to upset a past client or somebody in your database, like you've got the wrong impression of how this has gone for Kevin yeah. and I over the last, you know, seven, 10, 14 years, right? Like stuff happened. Like I got a referral from somebody out of state who like, like his, his wife gave me the referral. He grew up on my street growing up in Glendale. Like we dropped the ball a couple of times on, on her parents recently. Right. And so I've gotten dragged back into some transactions from time to time. And some people do get disappointed. So this is not about perfection, but this is about like, there is a better way to do it. And more often than not, we are going to deliver a higher value and end product and service to the client. But yeah, if you thought, if you, by hearing me, if you think what I'm saying is everything goes perfect and no, nothing's ever gone wrong and we've never had somebody upset, then you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. It's just, I'm more committed to seeing it work than I am getting hung up that along the way, something, something didn't go as planned. Yeah. I kind of joke and say, it's always messy behind the scenes as much right. as it looks perfect up front. Like if I could just take my camera right now and just turn it to the left a little bit, I've put this perfect frame here of like, this is clean. And if I put it over here, you'd be like, whoa, this is a disorganized office, isn't it? I was like, yep, this is what production looks like. Just a few more minutes. So I got two more things I want to talk about. So with your listing side of your business, when you get referrals, you just hand those off to your team still and do like the 50-50 split or do you get like a higher split on your end when it's a listing? Yeah, no, I, th I think we we get 50 to 55% or 50 okay. to 60%. I kind of say 50-50 because the blend of whatever the listing split is and the buyer split sort of blends to 50. So yeah, it, it's about that. I know, I mean, I could go get more. I could hire some listing agent on our team that, you know, maybe makes a base plus a small, Yeah, I get all those things and, you know. There's um, just more logistics to it. Yeah, there's more logistics in the interest of just like, you know, really making it a win-win for the agents that I do give those referrals to. Like it, it just, it works, right? We have a great working relationship. And uh, I think there's things that we could definitely do to raise our, you know, net income and, mar you know, margins and all that. But it works for us. And Kevin and I had a big aha a couple of years ago. A friend of ours, Reed Moore, gave us this aha. And he said, you know, at the place I'm at in my business, he's kind of seventh level, if we can use that language, just because a lot of people understand that. Uh, at the level I'm at in my business, I don't look at like my total income that I make on the team every year and evaluate it that way. I look at it through the eyes of like, what's my hourly income on the team? And so uh, I'm in a position where I don't have to spend more than five to 10 hours a week in our real estate sales team, sometimes less. And so the hourly rate that I make on the net income that the team provides is really strong. And it's freed me up to be able to do other things I enjoy, like um, growing our brokerage and bringing value to agents through events and doing investing and things of that nature. So I, I, I while I know I could tweak the, you know, tweak the bottom line numbers and drive them up and whatever else, I'm, I'm a happy owner, so to speak, because my hourly rates are pretty good. And that gave me a whole new context and way to look at my books.
Yeah, I think uh, quality of life is something that people have to like recognize. Like, what do you, you know, I think there's just like business owners that are just after this to try to get every dollar they can out of it. And if that's how you're wired, I'm like, cool. There's some people I think that it's just like, hey, I'm making this much money and could I make more if I fine tuned it? Yeah, but fine tuning it would take more hours a week. And I've kind of got, you know, like I, I'm really, I give a, I give a lot of props to people. I actually give a lot of props to people who decide they don't want to grow something bigger. And it was based on their terms. I'm like, that's a interesting time in your life. I think when you're like, I don't want to do more, but based on me saying, I don't want to do more, you know, like, I think that's very powerful for you just to admit, like, this is where my life is. This is how much I make. I'm cool with it. That's the person sometimes I think who's really did a lot of self-reflection of, am I just going to get lost in just running a company? Or am I really trying to build a business that makes me money to go serve my life outside of the business? And yeah, so I'm, think- I'm searching for that right now, but I, I'm really, I give props to people who say, yes, I could make more money. I actually just don't want to spend the hours to do it. Yeah. And good for you, man, for being in that search. Like it, and I think that answer will change for you with time, or at least I've seen it has for me. There were times when we added leverage because we wanted to grow. And when I say grow, we wanted to grow top line revenue, top line units, whatever it was, right? Bottom line profit. Um, But then there's been other times where we've added leverage to get time back, to get quality of life back, to get, I really freaking hate doing X, Y, Z, and I don't want to ever think about that again. So I'm going to hire that out. And so um, I don't think there's, again, this goes back to that. There's not a right or wrong. This is a, a journey. And I know some people like being told this is how you should think, but I'd rather work with people that are empowered to think and dream and create their own life, right? According to their own plan. And like, we all should have that ability and freedom to be able to go, who do I want to emulate? How do I want this to look in my life? What's the perfect scenario for me? What do I value more right now? And so, yeah, people that have leverage to just have quality of life and time with their family or time to do what they love. I mean, I think that's a pretty enviable uh, business or place to get to in life. Yeah. And I was talking to uh, your business partner the other day, I had him on the podcast and I was telling him, and I wanted to tell you this as well. It's kind of jokingly, but what I realized by interviewing him was how he was always willing to go. Just, you guys were always willing to fly somewhere and talk to somebody who was doing what you were doing. And I was joking with him and saying, he was saying Ben Kenny and this person and that person. And I was like, Hey man, you've been that for me and you have as well. Um, Like you've been such an inspiration that I think the real estate community, like how much you guys do for it, you probably don't even know. And so I wrote this down and I was talking to him about it, but I wrote down a note and I thought ever since I even got into your guys's world, like nine months ago, let's say I, uh, and I was telling him this, I use your guys's bookkeeper service, your tax attorney. We use the same coach. We have the same podcast producer. Kevin's sister-in-law does my team's transaction coordinating. You introduced me to the guy who Help me hire the people in Manila who do my virtual assistant work. You guys introduced me to the cost segregation company who saved me like 198,000 of my taxes this year. You got me in contact with the guy that helped me hire my showing partners. And I think I'm like, man, that was nine months. Like I met you guys at a mastermind. And yet I invite people to these masterminds that I know. And they'll be like, oh, I think I'm busy that day. And I'm just like, wait, what? And they're like, I'm busy. And I'm like, doing what? And they're like selling a house. And I'm like, man, only if you guys knew what goes on in these masterminds, like my world has just blown up my business world in the last nine months by just being around like three and four people. And I'm super excited for the future of that. So like with those masterminds we go to, like, what's the reasoning that you guys like putting those on? Hearing your story, man, is like, is like good enough for me. And I just know there's been so many people 
I'm not trying to make this sound like super altruistic or whatever, too sappy, but there's been so many people that Kevin and I credit for, you know, helping us with this or pointing us to that coach or that, that attorney or that CPA or that bookkeeper or whatever, some of that stuff you like, there's a list of people that introduced us to all those people that we introduced you to. Right. And um, I don't think we wrote a check to very many of the people that introduced us to those people and those like things that you just discovered. So for us to be able to like pay that forward or just to know that we're making an impact is pretty cool. And, and you know, in many ways, like the real estate agent is is our um, is our target audience. And what I mean by that is that we have a podcast, we have a Facebook group, we partner with people at EXP Realty, and you know, we have lots of other things that we do for the community masterminds events. And so it's not about selling people something. It's not about getting people to something. It's just about like, if there's a way for us to collaborate and work together and also improve your life, then we should probably explore that. And I would hope that somebody else out there that like is listening, that thinks they can improve my life would reach out and like want to explore something as well. Right. Like I'm open to opportunities and possibilities. And so I think that's what it's about, man, just giving back and like really, really helping other people and kind of paying it forward. If you will, we've just, we've never really been too closed book on, on much because the people that have given to us have always been very open. And I don't think we'd be where we were if, if we hadn't, you know, they hadn't done that to us. Yeah. It's probably your appreciation and really holding dear to those people who helped you that makes you give back. I found that out. I remember when I got into the short sell game being young and I had several people who just took me in. I think I was so young and I looked like I was 12. So I think they felt like they were helping their kid. Like, Hey, this guy just was trying to make it. I can name off like seven people who, if they didn't just like walk into my office and help me, I don't think I'd be here. And I still text them probably once every two years. I'm like, hey, like, I just want to let you know, like, you're the reason why I'm here. And I, I appreciate you. And I think it's like harnessing that and really knowing that that was true. It's what makes me ever want to give back to anybody. Because I'm like, I hope that I can have that impact on somebody who's trying to be better. And that's what I almost respect about our industry the most is that, you know, there's a lot of us out there but it's still such a small world. And I think it's a very giving world if you look at it the right way. Um, yeah. But if I could say one last thing, dude, uh, yeah. on that is like, as much as you wrote down all those things that you've gotten from us, like for sure you've given Kevin and I some stuff this year. And I don't say that in a sappy, like that's a great way to close out a podcast. Like, dude, you've helped expand our mindset around uh, investing in the, in the last year. Like just some of the stuff that you're doing technology wise is pretty cool. And with your lead conversion. And so um, as much as I say, like it's giving back, like Kevin and I get just about as much from other people that we give stuff to as they gave to like, it's very reciprocal is what I is what I want to make sure I say. And if you're somebody that thinks you can only get give or receive from somebody below you or above you or whatever, like, I think you have it all wrong. Like, I think there's a lot to learn from people that maybe do it differently than you or aren't in the same place as you are in your business. And um, that to, to us, that's probably a huge benefit as well. So to anybody out there listening, like, you should take Chris and I up on the offer to come mastermind with us. We've got some different lunch masterminds we're doing this year in Phoenix. We've got some big events we're hosting around the country that you can reach out to Chris on. And um, like, you should be in some of these rooms. Like I've not invited one person yet to one of these rooms. It was like, that was terrible. I didn't learn anything. I want my money back. Right. I'm like, what was this worth uh, not going out and showing a home today for? And they're like, yeah, yeah. right. So growth happens in those rooms. Hey man, I thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really just like, once again, I just, Thanks for all you do for me and just the real estate community. I really appreciate it, man. Hey, man, I appreciate you and your time today. Thank you, bud. Glad to be in partnership with you. Have a good day, buddy. All right, man. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Join the Kevin and Fred community, part of EXP Realty and partner with us today. You'll get free access to live trainings two or more times a month, live events and in-person masterminds, 
digital downloads to help you run and scale your business, and much, much more. To learn more and join our community, visit kevinandfred.com slash contact and contact us today. Not ready to join our community? No problem. Continue enjoying all this great content on our podcast for free.